Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, top and bottom performer reporting. Here we go. Would you agree that most managers overestimate how much their boss knows about their directs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have always found that true. We know our directs, or at least we attempt to know our directs. Right. And our bosses don't know much about them. And it hurts. It hurts us and it hurts our directs, particularly when we end up wanting to do one of two things, right? We've, we've coached somebody for a long months and months and months and it's right. time to fire them. Or we've coached somebody for months and months and months and it's time to promote them. And in both cases, the fact that our boss doesn't know our directs well enough really gets in the way. Yeah. And what, what happens is, is that we combine our lack of communication with our boss, either combine or it, it's, it's because of everyone just assumes that the boss knows what the heck's going on, right? Look, just from a scope perspective, it can't be that your boss knows your directs anywhere near as well as you. If your boss has five to eight directs, right? She's probably just keeping up with you and your peers, right? And we have people all the time say, oh, I couldn't do a half hour one-on-ones with 10 people. It'd be too many. I couldn't right, do that. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so that's just directs, right? Yep. Yeah. If you and your all of your peers have five to seven directs, your boss has between 30 and 50 people she's got to keep track of. It's stupid. She's not doing it. And rightfully so, I think, right? I mean, right. look, she would say, what, what do I have you there for? She would, she would invoke Ozan's rule of executive life, which is don't make me come down there and do your job for you. Right. Okay. So let's go back to what I said, though. But it's, it's important, right? If, if I'm a manager, oh, it's important yeah. that my boss understands my folks, that, that, know, right. that, that she knows something about my folks. Right. So, so, okay, so she's not doing it. She doesn't have enough time, but it's important to me. What do I do about that? Well, here's the mistake that everybody makes. Now, what everybody does is that there are two choices that people make having no guidance like what we're going to share today. They either over-communicate. I've got to give really detailed every month about everything everybody's doing, which if all of your peers gave to your boss what you were going to give her all this long stuff about all your, it again, be, it'd be a report about 50 people that she's not going to read. Right. So too many people go, they try that. They think, well, I need to keep my boss posted. And the boss goes, yeah, I don't, I don't read that. Right. Or they read it and say, yeah, I'm reading it, but I'll get back to you. And three months later, they really haven't finished it yet. So essentially they haven't read it. And, and frankly, to some degree, rightfully so. And then the manager goes, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. The problem is, and you alluded to this with the issue of, you know, somebody you're coaching, good or bad, is the people at the margins, right? Mm. So look, we don't recommend that you talk to your boss every month about your team. You do owe him or her an update. And that happens quarterly, and we'll do a different cast about that. But part of the reason the urgency of this cast is because somebody asked me about this recently, and I said, how well does your boss know your top performer? He says, well, I'm not sure he knows him at all. And and, you know, that immediately red flag. And and now this manager is getting pressure from the direct to help to get him promoted. And the manager's boss doesn't know. Mm. You know, now now we have a problem. Now, now we have the manager looking bad to the direct while all the time saying, I'm going to help you get promoted. So um, the real thing we've got to do is we've got to report on the margins. And so we have three simple recommendations. We recommend you report monthly 
on your top and bottom performers, your top one and your bottom one. If in fact you have two at the very top and they're indistinguishable, if you wanted to do this for two people at the top or at the bottom, that's fine. It would be very unusual in my mind. And all you have to do is prepare one to two paragraphs. You do it after one of your monthly one-on-ones. Yeah, you could do it in the middle of the month or the end of the month, whatever, your call. I tend to think of having having happen at the end of the month just because there are reminders that the month has ended. So you're naturally thinking, oh, yeah, I got to do that. And folks, it takes 10 minutes. And then the third thing, and this is this surprised this manager when I told him this. I said, you don't necessarily need to report it, but you've got to be ready to discuss it. In his case, I actually said, you need to start doing this for your boss, right, for your top performer so he's ready. But generally speaking, we would not necessarily recommend you forward this to your boss every time. It's good to know it, but you don't necessarily need to report it. Good. Okay. So, you know, one of the small things that often looms large when directors evaluate managers is how we respond when we get asked about something that is, you know, something we don't report on regularly, or it's, it's part of, you know, of a working manager job rather than the working part of working manager. Yeah, exactly. And suddenly then one day our bus comes by comes, sits at our desk and says, okay, time to get ready on buzz, on budgets, right? And then we're, right. we're surprised. We're surprised. And that, that's surprised. About it, right? I just want to strangle people that say, oh, they act surprised. I said, look, I don't care if you're surprised. <laughs> just don't show you're surprised. Your boss has been thinking about the budgets for the last month. He's probably done something to get ready. How can you be surprised? It's it's You have to know this. You should be thinking, we recommend you think ahead 30 days and you've got to know that budget timing is coming up. Well, yeah, that's, and that's one of the things that gets me is like, how can you possibly be surprised? That topic comes up at the same time every, every year. year. It's yeah. not, it can't be a surprise. I mean, you're just, you're right. letting it be a surprise, right? And for some of you new managers, it's okay. The first time you get asked about budgets ever in your life as a manager, it's okay to be surprised. It is. But after that, no more. <laughs> yeah. or, or, or let me, let me use, let me choose my words carefully. It's okay to be surprised for the rest of your life. You only get to show surprise one time, right. just once. Right. Yeah. And the same, right? The same, you mentioned annual, same thing with annual reviews, right? And you get a note from HR saying, time for annual reviews. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm behind. Those yeah, manager exactly. tools, guys, I got to do X and Y. Right, right. As soon as somebody asks you about it, you know you're already behind. <laughs> yeah. And then you get asked and you don't look smooth. And and that doesn't come across as professional. Yeah, we're just so focused on our, quote, unquote, work. We really don't work on the management stuff as yeah. nearly as much as we need to. Yeah. In fact, I use that as a test. Somebody, somebody pushed back recently. I want to say a couple of months ago at a conference about, you know, this is manager stuff is all wonderful, but I got work to do. And I said, Oh yeah, you're a working manager. He says, Oh, definitely. It's different for me. <laughs> and, and he literally sat in a room of 50 people and was implied, implied or certainly everyone else in the room inferred that what he was saying was, you guys must have nothing else to do but manage because I actually have, I'm the guy that actually is busy here because I have work to do. And the fact is the idea of the working manager is, is a total myth. You know, we don't, look, everybody's just a manager and you have your own work to do. I often say there's just no such thing as a non-working manager. It doesn't happen. See, even CEOs have their own job, things only they can do in addition to having to manage their directs and probably even further down in the organization than that. Exactly. And the problem here is that what I did was with this guy pushed back, I said, well, let, let's do a quick test. How many of you, and I gave some examples, I gave budgets, I gave annual reviews, I gave a hint at a steel cage death match issue. I said, how many of you, if you got that, would be surprised 
right? And they all, everybody raised their hands, right? Or, or oh, yeah, I got to do that. And, and, oh, I'm not thinking about that. Oh, I'm not planning it. And I said to him, I said, if you get surprised by managerial things because you've become a working manager rather than a working manager, that's a hint about your scalability for additional responsibilities. You must start thinking 30, 60, 90 days ahead about the things that are coming up. And you know, this cast will come out in Q4, I think. And if it does, then folks, it takes what, two minutes to put some time on your calendar a month from now to start noodling together what your annual reviews are going to be like? I mean, that that's it. And yet people think that it's okay to be surprised or to to say, oh my God, I'm so busy. I can't possibly have time for that. It's another thing coming. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Look, again, at least don't show it. Privately go, oh, geez, ne- maybe next year I'll, I'll, I'll get around this. But this constant feeling of I'm so swamped and oh, here's another thing from corporate. That's not the way to be professional. That doesn't send a message of competence or for that matter, confidence to your boss. Look, here's a simple prescription for doing what needs to be done and more importantly, perhaps, depending upon how you look at it, for appearing to be a total professional and on top of your managerial game. We recommend you prepare a monthly report. Don't worry, it's not long. You can do it in two, three, four, five minutes. A monthly report on your best and worst performers, which you could present verbally or in writing to your boss immediately and come across as if you expect that question routinely whenever he asks for it. Okay, so that you can present to your boss when she asks for it. So that implies that you you are not necessarily sending it every time. No, you don't. We'll talk about that more. You don't actually submit it unless unless your sense is that this would be perceived as helpful versus just more information that I'm interested in. I think I think if you've got if you and your boss are in the process of politically positioning somebody from a for a promotion. And if you see yourself, gee, I didn't know people were politically positioned for promotions. Well, <laughs> oh, okay, they they are. You know, th- then I think you would start uh, proactively making sure your boss gets it, so that your boss can have the words on the tip of his tongue when he gets asked by an executive on the review committee or or one of his peers who might have seen something about, hey, how's Josh, that guy who's a you know, he, he's a skip of Ozan's. He works for Horseman. How's Josh? And yeah. then your boss, then Ozan's able to say, yeah, absolutely. The guy's good. He, he did X last month. That's a good point. I, I think some managers, uh, new managers particularly, don't realize how that works, right? Executives have conversations quite frequently with their subordinate executives about who's ready for promotion, who's ready to, to step right. up. And if that conversation takes place and your boss is not aware of the good work of your people, and this particular person is not mentioned in this, this conversation, it's then hard for your boss to go back yeah. three weeks later and say, oh, well, I forgot about Joe. He's, he, he's, he's really ready to, to, yeah, to be promoted, yeah, right? It's, yeah. it, it puts your boss in yeah. a bad light. So Yeah, and then, and then they say, yeah, and I forgot about Joe too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, not in the, he's not in the conversation. Yeah. And look, it's the preparing of it that makes it valuable because it's you preparing to be crisp and professional about your direct so that when you're asked for it later – verbally or in writing, you can provide it immediately and you don't have to worry about whether or not it was done hastily. It's just like your resume. You prepare it so that when you need it, you don't have to, you don't mess it up. And, and because it's only five or 10 minutes in total preparation time, you can't argue that, oh, I don't, I don't have time for it. Now, look, again, we only report the top and bottom performers because 
again, reporting on everybody is rarely necessary. It's rarely asked for. Folks, in case you don't know, your boss is probably managing by exception. If you prepare to report on everyone, and, and look, again, once a quarter, I think that's great. And if your boss doesn't want it, you still do it. And then you've got more raw data to have the kind of great words you need to have to write the annual review in much less time so that when everybody else is struggling to meet deadlines in January and nothing is getting done in your organization because everybody's gnashing their teeth, your stuff is already done. For one thing, you can go on, on Christmas vacation and feel much better. For those of us who celebrate Christmas and in January, you can hit the ground at a dead run starting to worry about next year's deliverables rather than, oh my gosh, I've got to get my reviews in on time. And again, if you did send one for everybody, your boss would probably read it selectively. They're not going to read everybody, certainly not every month. And when we say selectively, what we mean is your boss is probably going to only look at the top and bottom performers, the people that are of interest. And and the, the high performer and the low performer are the people that are going to be of interest. Now, look, you know, you could ask, why don't they want to see everybody? And, you know, why do they look selectively? Because they don't want to think about all 50 of their skips at once. That's what they have you for. That's what they have us for as managers. And, and look, even if they did want to look without a specific demand from corporate driving it, you know, an annual or semi-annual request or something like that, or preparing for, let's say, market-driven change, they wouldn't be able to do anything with the information about the folks in the middle of the pack. The folks at the top of the heap, you know, your best performer need to be considered periodically. They're the heart of the succession plan. Even if your boss does no succession planning at all, and, and frankly, we bet the vast majority of bosses don't. And folks, by the way, if you don't and you haven't done it in the last year, then your boss apparently isn't doing it either because most bosses I know, they do it with their directs in part because that's waterfall from their boss to them. But even if they don't do any planning at all, they know they're supposed to be able to have a plan or they know they're supposed to be able to tap somebody to be their number two. And by the way, we have cast for those things. And so they think about it every once in a while. And so when they think about their skips, the people they think about are the people at the top of the heap and people at the bottom of the heap. And, and to the person who asked me at a conference recently when I told them I was writing this cast and they said, well, that's just not right. All I can say is I repeat my, my, uh, assertion to you at the conference, which is right or not, that's the way it is. Remember Horseman's Ninth Law, embrace reality. This is a young manager. And I said, and if you're going to go through life complaining about all the things, and by the way, when I was your age, I did it too. If you go through your life always complaining about all the things that other people don't do that you think they should do, you're not going to get far far because people aren't going to like you very much. Just ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So look, and, and, and the folks at the bottom, are what your boss thinks of as their personnel risk in their organization. And and frankly, sometimes there's operational risk associated with that personnel risk, depending upon the role they're in. So they get thought about more actually than somebody in the middle of the pack. So what that means is your boss might ask, and he might ask suddenly, and we can't do a good job off the cuff. Trust me, I've watched managers do it. Uh, The first word out of their mouth when a boss comes down and asks a manager, when a director asks a manager, hey, tell me about your top guy. The first word out of the mouth, 80% of the time is, uh, right, not good, right? Yeah. So we need to be ready. Now, what's great about those kinds of requests from a boss is they're rarely generated by something current. I mean, that, that is, if your boss wants to know about someone good, they probably know to some degree what that person has done in the last two weeks or those two weeks don't matter and the thinking is more strategic than that. If they ask about somebody who is struggling, 
They don't usually want to know how many balls they dropped this week. They want to know if they've continued to improve or not. So you only have to do this once a month and your work will generally serve. Yes, your, your, the, the little report you're going to write, very short, the couple of paragraphs are going to decay over the course of the month, but you can still deliver that report that entire month verbally or in writing and it will serve an excellent purpose. And there won't be any ums or ahs in that reporting, right? Spending 10 minutes each month is well worth being able to deliver an effective answer to one of your bosses, frankly, what, what amounts to a strategic managerial inquiry. Good. Okay. So let's talk more specifically about what to do. What's, what's your, what are your recommendations in terms of Yeah, it's like, look, it. this is so, so easy. It's just one to two paragraphs, guys. In fact, whenever I start thinking about succession planning and I start thinking about the kind of things managers have to do to pick their head up off of who's got what task and whether they're green ember or red in a given week, I'm reminded of Larry Bossidy's guidance in his book, Execution, where he talks about the best annual review is one page, strengths and weaknesses at the top, and then goals and opportunities for next year at the bottom. Handwritten, totally fine. And so many managers think of performance reviews and succession planning and their connection to the company as being an annual review form, which is which has been turned into some objective data gathering device by HR, which is never really looked at or which the central tendency is is described, which is worthless, right? The central tendency is largely worthless. The best companies in the world, folks, the top 100 or 200 or 300 people are reviewed by the senior leadership in detail. And they have individual information about what they've done in the last week, last month, the last quarter. And so we're talking about something simple for you to write. You don't need to be careful about your syllables and so on. Basically, what you do is simple. If you try to do this in the next couple of weeks, and by the way, if you're at your desk right now, you could probably, because you can think faster than I can talk, you you could try it right now while I'm talking. You could absolutely do it because if it's if it seems like what you're doing is becoming not simple, that's probably a sign you're doing this wrong. What you would do is after your one-on-ones in the week that are, you know that the month ends, that's when I would do it. Take five minutes each for your best and worst performer. Sit at your desk and write one to two paragraph monthly performance memos. That's what you call it, a monthly performance memo. You can do it in an email if, to yourself if you want. I think that's a little less crisp. I love the idea if your boss said, hey, can you give me an update on this guy? Well, here's his last three monthly performance memos. What? Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. sweet. And it's not an email. It's not a copied or forwarded email from you. No, you can do that. That's like an email can be a mem- uh, an MFR, a memorandum for record. But a monthly performance memo folder, awesome, right? It's 50 to 100 words. And 50 words is not that long, guys. It's a, it's a couple of sentences. It's maybe three sentences. For your top performer, you capture noteworthy achievements, progress toward key goals. If there's something in particular that's of interest, you might highlight that, either in terms of her performance or in terms of her opportunities. For your bottom performer, it's similar with an eye towards showing improvement, noteworthy achievements or noteworthy failures or failure to progress toward key goals, and then perhaps making a case for action by describing what they didn't do if their performance isn't improving. That's it. And I know what happens when we do this, right? Um, people go, okay, what would, it, what would it sound like? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to right? ask you. And, and we, we need to do better. It's something we're working on is more examples and details rather than just describing something conceptually. So here's a monthly performance memo from my guy who works for me, Don Jackson. And it's two paragraphs. 
I'll read them. Great month while trying to juggle both high quotas and the new work with a digital marketing project that the CEO, COO is chairing. Two meetings a week, long meetings in addition to everything else he's doing, but he didn't miss a quota any week during the month. New paragraph. Met all deadlines for creating customer semi-annual review guidance for all salespeople. Looks solid so far. Has to be reviewed by legal. Glad for time with COO, but worried about being a nobody in the room because he's outranked by everybody. Working on his network development. And then in italics, he's ready for promotion, and I think he would probably expect discussions about that sometime this year. It's just prose. It's not quite stream of consciousness, which always scares me. It's simple prose. It's yeah. the kind of prose we recommend somebody would write in a review. Yeah, it's not complicated, right? It's not a bunch of metrics and measurements and no. all that kind of stuff, right? Oh, gosh, no. You don't want to objectify this thing. Gosh, no. What you want to do is feel those words coming out of your mouth a little bit. If you're writing for another audience, then the writing ought to be in your voice. And people often say, what's your writing voice? Your writing voice is your speaking voice. Ideally, that's what really good writing is. So the great thing about this is because it's the kind of prose we'd recommend in a review – this means your top and bottom performance reviews, which are always the most important reviews you write, are going to have a great head start at the end of the year. That's all it is. Okay. So let's go back to something you said earlier, right? We, we prepare this, we write it, but we don't necessarily report it. We're, we're just ready to discuss it when it comes up. Yeah. We're not telling you to create a monthly deliverable for yourself. When I say deliverable, deliverable to someone else. I suppose this is a deliverable to yourself, but I don't think of that as a deliverable. It's just something you got to do. Don't tell your boss by proactively sending them these things and say, hey, I already do this stuff and surely you'll want it because maybe they don't want it. But now you're on the hook for it. <laughs> and by the way, your peers might say, what is the boss wanting and why is he? Why are you sending this to him and him telling me I wa he wants it and then he doesn't read it? I hate your guts. <laughs> right? The point here is we're not trying to push reporting. This is not about reporting. It's to create, what we're doing is creating a regular and small data collection point that causes you to be able to communicate about the performance of your directs. And communicating is the single most frequent thing managers do, but managers don't think that way. They, they focus downward on the directs and, well, he's doing this, he's doing that. And then you get asked, how's he doing? And suddenly you have to abstract your, your thinking about a person up a level. And now you're saying, um, and ah. And, it, and, and for a top performer, it comes across as lacking confidence about how good they are. Unless you say, oh, he's fabulous. In which case, your boss probably is thinking, I need more than he's fabulous. Right? That's an assertion with a lot of self-interest. And if you say um and ah, and you're kind of being careful about your bottom performer, it comes across you're trying to hide something. And it makes an enormous impression about the quality of your work when you're able to produce a brief verbal or written report about somebody's performance effortlessly. Now, look, you may get a request, folks, that won't be in this format, right? They'll say, hey, we need an update on this or that or the other thing. But I'll tell you what. It's not the format that necessarily matters either. It's the thinking. And frankly, if you already have this done, we've seen more cases than not where senior folks or HR or legal or finance, when asking for something from out in the field, when they want some kind of report, usually, I mean, not always, I'm not saying somebody's going to write me a note and say, this is, no, that's not the way it is here, but they will accept a different format when they see that one of their effective managers has been doing the work all along, and frankly, they don't want their request to be a totally administrative burden on that guy. And so if your 
monthly performance memo doesn't answer the mail 100%, but it answers 80%, send that in. Make them tell you no about it if they're asking for something along those lines. And then your work's already done. And when one of your peers says, oh, yeah, I got to go do those things. You say, oh, yeah, I already sent it in. How did you already send it in? Oh, I, you know what? I just write myself a little memo each month. Takes like five minutes. And, and then I show it to him. And he says, well, that's not actually what they asked for. Yeah, but I told him I've already done it. And will this serve? And they said, yeah, that'd be fine. The guy's like, wow. Now, of course, now you get to focus on your thinking rather than on answering the deliverable, rather than on meeting the format. And you're a lot less frustrated by it. And it doesn't take you two hours to do it on all of your people. You already have it on your top and bottom performer. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Pretty easy. Yeah. And it's, guys, it's five or 10 minutes. It's not that much. So again, be ready to report monthly on your top and bottom performers. Hopefully we made it clear. You don't have to do it on everybody. You don't want to, you don't want to burden your boss with a bunch of stuff he or she doesn't want. It's only one to two paragraphs. I would recommend you do it after a one-on-one, just hive off five or 10 minutes time and, and just type and then put it in a Word document and print it and you're done or save it somewhere on your personnel folder that's protected somewhere on one of your drives. And then remember, you don't necessarily need to report it, but you got to be ready to discuss it. And the preparation of the paragraphs in prose, in verbal prose, means that you'll be able to talk much more coherently about both ends of the spectrum, top and bottom. It's once a month. It keeps you ready to support with facts and results your top performer. And it keeps you from losing control of the story on your weakest performer, which really is hard. That's frustrating when that happens. Yeah, you know, you could compose it in your head. But too many managers we know say they will, and then they don't. And when the moment of truth comes and their boss asks them for an update, they're left to do what everyone else does and come up with something not well thought out on the spur of the moment, not as professional as it could be. We recommend you be the ant and not the grasshopper. Well said. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, partner. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.